Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in-depth look at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. Welcome to this week's edition of Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. I'm Dustin Huffman. Riley Smith and Mark Magnuson will be joining us later on in the program, as well as Russ Parker here at the end of this segment. But first, let's run down some of the headlines we're looking at. And after a week that began with risk of it being very volatile in the marketplace, the markets are ready to settle down into the weekend. On Monday, the concern was that the midterm elections, the WASD report, and the consumer price index for October would send the markets on a roller coaster ride. And while the markets did react, they weren't as crazy as many had worried. However, Thursday might have been an exception to that when we saw corn and soybeans lose double digits on that day. However, overnight and into Friday, the trade got going and we saw the soybeans gain that back and then some. Corn was a little quieter. And AgMarket.net's Matt Bennett says it may have just been too much negative movement, more than what was really necessary. On uh, soybeans, we're, we're, we're getting back most of it. On corn, you know, I'll tell you what, we took a pretty good hit. And uh, uh, down 10 to 11 cents on the close, up three or four overnight, then we'll certainly take it. But uh, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see that kind of follow through just a little bit. I, I think we got a little bit overdone. I mean, when it gets right down to it, the report was not bearish by any stretch of imagination. And so uh, I was very, uh, I, I guess I felt really good coming out of the report. Yesterday's uh, market action was a little bit perplexing, but I think it's one of those things where, you know, you got to feed a bull every day and there's just not enough bullish fodder out there coming here this morning. I don't know that anything significant has changed by any means. I just think we overdid it yesterday. Elsewhere around the region, we know that Iowa is still dealing with drought, but we're starting to finally get some relief. Nice gentle rains help refill some of our soil profiles, but we still need more. Iowa State climatologist Dr. Justin Glisson says that many areas of the state did see a category of improvement. So, yeah, we saw some good uh, improvement across the state. Nowhere near a drought buster from the precipitation that we saw over two to three days during the reporting period last week. But we did see from South Central all the way up through Northeastern Iowa, good precipitation totals on the order of 300 to 400% of normal for the time period. So you saw some stations within that swath in which they received a month's worth of precipitation over two to three days. While this month did start out wetter than average, Glisson said the forecast is cold and dry for the next several weeks. So we've seen a, a fairly wet November to start with. And if we look at the short-term outlook, 6 to 10 and 8 to 14 day, as we speak, a cold front is sweeping across Iowa and ushering in uh, unseasonably, unseasonably cold temperatures. And these will continue for the next 8 to 14 days. You can find all of our news content from this week on our website at iowaagnet.com. That's going to do it for some of the news headlines. Let's kick things over to Russ Parker and his food for thought. There's a phrase that goes something like, good fences make good neighbors. And I guess depending on your perspective, fences can keep the good stuff in and the bad stuff out. Or maybe even inversely, the bad stuff in and the good stuff out. But the fact remains... We all want to be good neighbors. I recall living in Cedar Rapids in an older neighborhood. It was our first house, and literally there was a 10-foot space between our house and the neighbor's backyard corner of their chain-link fence. And it didn't take long for us to meet Penelope, their Great Dane. 
and she loved to hang her front legs over the fence and bark any time she saw anything move or heard a sound coming from our house, and it didn't matter if it was day or night. Her reason for living, I think, was to bark into the window in our back bedroom. And while we often cursed the dog, her owners were really nice people, and at least they tried to manage their dog. But I must confess, there were times I wished the fence wasn't there just to serve as a perch for Penelope. Our second house was an old farmhouse in the country, which included an old barn where we kenneled our male Brittany Spaniel. One afternoon, my neighbor came to the door and explained that a half dozen of his chickens had been killed by my Brittany. Well, how could that be? He's been in the kennel all day, I said. To which he said, I'm 99% sure it was your dog. He was upset, I could tell. But being the awesome neighbor he and his wife were, he simply went home. And I checked my dog to find chicken feathers all over his kennel. Not only did I put a fence on the top of his kennel so he couldn't climb out, but I also offered to replace the chickens. And we remained good neighbors for 10 years until we moved again. You know, we can't be good neighbors all the time, but we certainly can try all the time. Having boundaries in place is a good idea. Something as visible as a fence or an agreement that defines boundaries such as quiet times watching each other's property, or maybe even not talking about certain topics. Being a good neighbor can be easy or sometimes requires a lot of work. Perhaps the best solution is to try to mend our fences together. The Bible tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And in everyday life, not easy to do and could require a lot of work. But food for thought, I hope. This is Russ Parker. Have a blessed day. Thanks, Russ. And that's going to do it for segment one here of Weekend Ag Matters. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we will hear from Mark Magnuson as he goes between the pods. So stay tuned here on Weekend Ag Matters. Every detail matters when building a winning game plan. That's why the Cyclones and Hawkeyes rely on better, cleaner-now biodiesel to power their team buses on game days, delivering success on the field, in the field, and in the environment. Make biodiesel part of your game plan by visiting IASoybeans.com. Biodiesel. Request it. Grow it. Use it. This message brought to you by the Iowa Soybean Association and the Soybean Checkoff. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here is Mark Magnuson. Hello and welcome to segment number two of Weekend Ag Matters. Today I visit with Grant Kimberly of the Iowa Soybean Association for some insight into expanding international markets, trends in exports, and special visits to the U.S. by trade groups looking to buy Iowa soybeans. Mark Magnuson for the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, and it is the latest installment of Between the Pods, and I am here at the Iowa Soybean Association headquarters in Ankeny, and I'm joined by Grant Kimberly. Grant, could you start off by telling us what are your job responsibilities within the ISA? 
Yes, uh, my name is Grant Kimberly, so I'm Senior Director of Market Development at Iowa Soybean Association. And what that means is I oversee all of our demand building programs. Uh, I oversee our demand committee with our farmer, farmer directors that we, where we make our investments to, to grow demand for soybeans, whether it be international marketing on the export side, working with our livestock partners uh, domestically, or also working on value-added and bio-based product initiatives. Uh, and then also biofuels is a big uh, market driver as well. Grant, what are some of the market trends right now for soybean exports? What are you seeing right now? Well, you know, overall soybean exports uh, aren't, aren't doing too bad right now. We might be uh, down just a little bit uh, with some headwinds when it comes to, you know, the strong value of the U.S. dollar uh, and some other economic issues around the world. Of course, with China uh, kind of periodically locking down with, with some of their zero tolerance COVID policies. Uh, that's creating some headwinds and some challenges. But with all that being said, we're still seeing pretty good export numbers for soybeans and things are looking good. And, and there's a lot of different market opportunities around the world. And is China the big one then because of those lockdown protocols? They just don't have as much soybean demand right now? Yeah, it slows it down a little bit. I think maybe on the back end, you'll still see that come to fruition uh, later. But, uh, uh, you know, they are the biggest market when it comes to, to soybeans. They buy 60% of the world's globally traded or globally available for export uh, soybeans. So they are the big market. But we are working really hard to continue to diversify our market opportunities around the world to other places as well. And Grant, when we talk about these opportunities for Iowa soybeans to be sold outside of the country's borders, we know that Iowa soybeans are very popular because we have proof of that. We have visitors from other countries that come to Iowa specifically to buy Iowa soybeans. What have you found to be their reasoning? What do they like to tell you as far as why they like to make those deals? That's right. During uh, the harvest season in particular, we have a lot of visitors from overseas, uh, a lot of the major soybean buyers and small and large uh, from all over the world that come here. Uh, and so what they like to do is they like to go out to the farms. They like to visit with their farmers uh, to see how we're harvesting these crops, see what the quality looks like, what the yield and production is looking like this season, uh, and just to, to see and taste it uh, in, a, in a sense, uh, figuratively speaking, uh, up close and personal, and then talk to those growers and those farmers. And we also just link the entire value chain. So we go to the co-op, we go to uh, the processor, the uh, export terminal, and, and they get to see how the entire value chain uh, all fits together. What are those visits like? Have you found that international visitors, do they think that a soybean operation here in the United States is vastly different? Are there maybe more similarities than we might think? Well, I mean, everybody farms differently all over the world. Uh, every No farm is exactly like even here in Iowa. So uh, they just are fascinated to hear from the farmers, to see the different sizes of operations, to see how they do things. Um, but they all take away that there's high uh, care that goes into uh, growing soybeans, and, and uh, a lot of farmers are very uh, attention, take a strong attention to detail and certainly uh, are as, as sustainable as possible, and that's certainly the term that we're hearing more and more that are, is a concern of, of buyers. They want to make sure that their soybeans are grown in a, a very sustainable manner. And so being able to show that our soybeans are grown that way and harvested and transported uh, very sustainably makes a big difference to create that customer preference for U.S. soybean products. And that only makes a ton of sense. I mean, if you're buying soybeans and things go well, you're probably going to want to buy them in the future. So you hope that that can sustain and continue. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so it's a globally 
traded commodity. And certainly uh, we work in a lot of different fronts where we try to just grow gen- gen- general uh, demand for soybeans. But we also are working to get, build customer preference for Iowa and U.S. soybeans and soybean meal products. Uh, and so it's a, it's a mixed and diversified portfolio of how we go about working with our partnerships at U.S. Soybean Export Council and our buyers and our customers from around the world. Grant, are those deals always done ahead of time and then they take the visit? Or is it a chance possibly for the international visitors to see how the soybeans are grown here in Iowa and say, we want to be a part of this. Let's make a deal here or I guess make a bigger deal than we had planned on? It's a little bit of both. Uh, certainly, uh, a lot of the buyers have familiarity and have purchased uh, from Iowa and the U.S. before, uh, but sometimes they're new ones as well, uh, or they're they're new at their role at, within a, a company that purchases soybeans. And so, sometimes it's just educating the new uh, up-and-coming staff members of some of these importers about, you know, how soybeans are grown and, and how we are, uh, the care that we take and sustainability measures that go into to growing soybeans. And so, it's education, and so we do have a mixture of deals that are done ahead of time and then deals that happen on the fly once they get here and and they see you know what the quality of the soybean crop looks like these types of deals and other deals that you're looking at when trying to expand these markets for iowa soybeans are they generally going to be soybeans whole or are they going to be soybean meal it's going to be both. Uh, from a national standpoint, we still export more whole soybeans uh, than, than anything, uh, but uh, we are processing or crushing more and more soybeans each and every year. Some of that's because of the demand now for soybean oil due to the growth in biodiesel and renewable diesel and the, the desire for governments and corporations to lower their carbon emissions and their energy output uh, when it comes to, to those kinds of things. So renewable fuels are growing. That means we're, we have to crush more soybeans to provide more oil. So in the future, we're going to see more and more soybean meal being exported as well. And we have customers around the world that we work on uh, with that as well. And each customer has different needs and different uh, requirements. And so some are more meal-oriented customers, like the Philippines is a great customer that has a preference for U.S. and Iowa meal. Uh, we work very closely with those buyers. Um, actually, we have a trade mission coming up uh, to go over and meet with those buyers uh, after Thanksgiving this year. Uh, and and so and then other markets like maybe Egypt, it's going to be more of a whole bean market, and that's a growing market as well. So it just depends on the market area. Grant, you and the rest of your um, co-workers here at the ISA would know better than anyone, but do you think the average person even fully realizes that when they drive by a soybean field in Iowa that those beans might end up, you know, somewhere halfway across the world. They might end up as something also that they don't even know soybeans can be used for. Like we know that soybeans can be used in aquaculture, for example, to feed fish and shrimp, things like that. Do you think the average person is able to, I guess, fully realize that? And I guess that's part of the reason why we're talking today. You know, if you're not directly connected to the farm or to agriculture, you may not realize uh, how they're being utilized. Uh, uh, So, yeah, that's part of our job, too, is to educate not only our customers and consumers around the world, but also those that are domestic here and and local. Uh, And, yeah, soybeans is a very... uh, uh, international crop. Uh, we export about 60% of all that we produce in the U.S. So uh, we are exporting more than we utilize here domestically. And again, that's in the form of whole beans, soybean meal, or soybean oil. So it just depends on, on uh, you know which market it's going to be. But exports are very, very important to agriculture and to soybeans in particular. Moving these soybeans overseas, trying to make those connections. Obviously, you're going to spend some money trying to do that. But 
I've seen the numbers. There's really good return on that investment of trying to get people's attention about Iowa soybeans. What do those numbers look like, Grant? Because it's almost, I think, a little bit hard to believe when you first read them. Yeah, there's been some different uh, analysis uh, and studies that have looked at some of these different uh, investments that we make as an industry, just uh, collectively, whether it be the soybean farmers investing in the checkoff resources or it's uh, some of the United States Department of Agriculture foreign market development programs and foreign ag service programs, and then, of course, the export industry. All of us combined work together to leverage those dollars to, to try to enhance our exports, and, and it depends on what study you look at, but in, in general, you're, you're usually talking a, a 20 to 1 or, or 30 to 1 return on investment uh, on on some of these. And like I said, we're building general demand for soybeans. Uh, We're helping them utilize more soybeans in the feed ration, whether it be aquaculture or or other other livestock products or value-added products, industrial uses too. Um, But certainly, um, you know, it's it's just a, a combination of lots of different factors. Are other states and other checkoffs and other states as involved, are they as active as the Iowa Soybean Association when it comes to getting the soybean deals done in international markets? We all work together. It's a partnership. And a lot of times our buyers are coming into multiple states because uh, they're wanting to buy from multiple different locations. And it depends on, too, if they're going to be buying more out of the Gulf of Mexico origin, you know, the port of New Orleans, uh, Louisiana, or if they're going to be buying more from the Pacific Northwestern ports. So it might depend a little bit on where they're logistically going to be purchasing from, what states they might go visit and and have more relationships with. But we all work together on this. Certainly Iowa and Illinois are the leading soybean producing states. So um, the epicenter tends to be right here uh, in the middle of the country. But uh, all the states work together. We work it through collectively, and we work with our international export arm called the U.S. Soybean Export Council to all facilitate additional exports. Grant, thank you so much again for the time here on Between the Pods, and have a great rest of your day. Thank you very much. That's it for segment number two on Weekend Ag Matters. Up next, Riley Smith speaks with Greg McBride of Allendale about this week's WASD report here on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. November is full of observances which tie into the ag industry. There's National Hunger and Homeless Awareness Week, National Farm City Week, National Better Conservation Week, the Thanksgiving holiday, and so much more. Take the time to share the story of what your family farm is doing to be better stewards of the land and water. Look at ways your farm can contribute to the benefit of your local community. Also consider making a donation of food and time to help those who are less fortunate than yourselves. Do what you can to make an impact in the world around you this month and always. This message is from your friends at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. We're on the phone with Allendale Commodity Broker Greg McBride as we take a look at today's WASDE report for the month of November, or the November WASDE report we released today. And uh, not a ton going on in the report today, at least in the marketplace. So, uh, Greg, just first off, let's go over what came out in the report. So we had a uh, an increase to uh, to yield of four uh, four tenths of a bushel for both corn and soybeans. That was uh, a, that was higher than expected. We were looking for no change. There were some whispers that uh, maybe a slight increase would happen. So um, we were prepared for that. It, w- it didn't really make much of a difference uh, in the in the final production numbers here so far. Uh, on the uh, the ending stocks, uh, the USDA. Uh, 
did make a, a choice to not increase or not decrease uh, corn export demand, which uh, we, we've been talking about that for weeks, is that the, the numbers for corn exports have been have been very poor. And uh, they made no change to that uh, uh, on this report. Uh, so at the end of the day, increasing uh, uh, ending stocks by 10 million bushels when we were looking for uh, about uh, – about uh, 35 million. So we're sitting at 1.182 um, um, billion bushels. That's uh, it's in line with the expectations. It was maybe slightly friendly, but uh, really it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a big enough uh, jump or or off by enough to to really move the markets here. As we look uh, going into the last 45 minutes of trade, we're sitting about unchanged on corn. On the soybean side of things. Uh, very much the same uh, the same story. We're looking for a 12 million bushel uh, increase to 212 uh, million bushels. We got a 20 million bushel increase, so just slightly higher on the uh, on the bean side of things. We know that demand has been better uh, for the beans here lately, so that uh, uh, gives us a reason to maybe be a little bit more friendly. Uh, but at the end of the day, this report was really kind of a, a nothing burger event. Uh, we we saw neutral numbers and. We saw beans make new highs and lows in that first minute after the report, but uh, here we've just kind of settled in uh, with 45 minutes ago to about uh, four four cents higher, or about seven cents off the uh, uh, off the highs, and we're about uh, 17 cents off the lows, just kind of mid range right now. Right, and I, I guess it feels a, a little weird to you know have a, have a neutral report or, or not much come out from it, especially after the the craziness that we've just gone through with the uh, midterm elections and all the news around that. So how does this uh, November WASD kind of compare to what we were expecting and maybe what we usually see? It's, it's pretty much exactly what we we're expect, expecting. There were going to be some some minor changes. We look for the uh, December report to, to really uh, make no changes at all. Uh, we'll look at, uh, at the January report uh, when we get to um, – quarterly numbers and we get uh, what they call final uh, when it comes to uh, the, the production and, and yields uh, to see some changes in January. But, the, you know, typically the the November report is the last one that they'll make for the year that uh, actually does have some, uh, some adjustments to it. And this one, uh, it did have some minor adjustments, but it really wasn't uh, anything that was out of out of bounds or out of what, uh, what people were looking so with the the lack of changes to numbers, is this just the USDA kind of uh, exercising an uncharacteristic amount of caution with that? Um, I would think so. I mean, it is very, it is fairly early in the uh, in the marketing year. So, the, like I said, the the one change that I that we all thought was going to be made was uh, going to be an export demand shift on uh, on corn. We thought for sure that the, you know how far behind we are on pace that uh, at least 50 million bushels was uh, should have been expected it just didn't come through they didn't even make change to uh to, to ethanol and that's been uh, fairly weak as well so um that that does make uh, make us a little bit uh, maybe scratch our heads a little bit but uh, at the end of the day i mean you didn't break the markets that's one of the things that uh, uh producers will will look at and say well you know even if the numbers weren't exactly what we expected uh it didn't hurt us uh, at all so we're still we're still range bound and we've been range bound for uh, for a couple of months now on the corn and the beans so uh you're at the upper end of the uh, the range for uh for beans you're at the um, lower end of the recent range for corn uh that's uh, that's where we sit it's very narrow uh, on that corn uh, as well it's about a 35 cent range 
So with all of that, then what should we expect, you know, going into next month's Wisney report and, and even as we get into the new year with uh, January's report? Yeah, de- December's I wouldn't look for any uh, any changes at all. Uh, they probably just leave uh, uh, leave all the numbers exactly the same as what we've seen here. Um, going into the January report, uh, I would uh, I would think that the yields uh, and production numbers will be very similar to what we're seeing here. Uh, it's really going to be about uh, what what they do for uh, crush and exports on the bean side of things and ethanol and exports on the uh, on the corn side of things. So. Um, if we don't see an increase in uh, or uh, or some sort of rebound in exports for corn, I would think they would have to make a change, maybe 50 to 75 million bushels in January. But uh, it's it, time will tell. I mean, we we did just see a, a sale uh, made to Mexico uh, yesterday, and then we had some more uh, flash sales for uh, for soybeans here this morning. So the demand in in soybeans is there. This is the first. Uh, 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 flash sale that we've seen for corn in quite a while, so that's a, that's a good sign. But we need to see it to be a lot more consistent at this point. All right, so you know, with all the the numbers, sometimes I guess with it with a neutral report, it can be kind of uh, confusing for farmers to think of like, well, what information should I glean from this? So, what, what should be the the biggest takeaway for Iowa producers as they see this uh, you know data come out from the report? Well, continue with your marketing plans. If you're if you're looking for higher prices to uh, make sales from, you know, you probably with a neutral report, you probably get that chance. You go back to the upper end of the range for, for corn around that seven dollar mark. Uh, that's a good spot to be making sales. We have we've obviously proven that we haven't been able to close above seven dollars in in December corn uh, in quite a while. So we even though we've been there a few times, we've never closed above it. And then on the uh, on the beans it's the same thing if you get back to the upper end of this range which we're kind of near 1480 to $15 you, you know take some action make some sales as long as you got that uh, uh, got the bushels to sell and if it uh, falls back off it gives you opportunities for uh, for re-ownership all right Greg well lots of great information today for those of our listeners who would like to get in touch and learn more from the folks at Allendale how can they do that Give us a call at 800-2-MARKET. That's 800-262-7538. That again was Allendale Commodity Broker Greg McBride with a check of this month's WASDE report. And that's it for today's episode of Weekend Ag Matters. Thanks again for tuning in. You can listen to this episode and more by going to the podcast tab on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network website at iowaagnet.com. For Russ Parker, Dustin Huffman, and Mark Magnuson, I'm Riley Smith, wishing you a great rest of your weekend. Join us again next week for more Weekend Ag Matters. 